This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Opposition from without and opposition from within. Let's look at verse 1 and see how Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, sets this up regarding the opposition from the outside. Verse 1 says, and Saul approved of his execution. So who is his execution? Well, that's what we talked about last week. That's Stephen, the first martyr in the church. And Saul was there as a Jew, a religious radical, and he's approving of his execution. And it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And verse 2 says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committing them to prison. We were introduced to Saul last week where uh, Stephen gets up and he preaches the gospel. He starts in the Old Testament, preaches it all the way through to to the resurrection of Jesus. And then he calls all these people on the carpet and said, you know, you're just like all the rest of the people who persecuted the prophets before you. You can't stand to hear the truth. They gnashed their teeth at him. They picked up stones and they began to pelt this man to death. They stoned him to death. And Saul is this guy that's a religious leader there approving of this. He's kind of watching the clothes while all this stuff is going on. And uh, and that's that's who he is. We we recognize him as this this radical religious guy um and it's important because we're going to learn more about what god does with people that are very far off from him in chapter nine so here's saul he's approving of his execution and just like we experience in the news today when one moment of persecution breaks out it's like it spreads it just multiplies so then it says a great persecution against the church in jerusalem started So where it was just kind of started with like Peter and John and those guys getting thrown in jail. And then there was there was one martyr. But after this guy dies, boom, it's almost like evil is just released out on the church in a way that it's never been released before. They weren't expecting this. It just started to happen. All of a sudden, persecution broke out on the church. Now, persecution is a program designed to harass and oppress somebody. So the religious desire here is to oppress the Christians, to shut it down, to stop this message from getting out. And this is Saul's agenda in all of this. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. Saul thought God was pleased by persecuting followers of Jesus. Now, is that individual ever represented in the news today? Religious fanatic thinking it would be pleasing to God to kill and to harass and to separate Christians. Well, that's who Saul is. And it also speaks a little bit about the extravagant grace of God. Is anyone beyond the grace of God? Is there anybody that's hated God so much or hated the name of Jesus or thought he was a curse like this guy Saul? Well, not... Not very many people would probably put themselves exactly where Saul is. We're going to learn that God's grace is extravagant. 
And notice what happens is that they're scattered. Look at verse verse 3. Saul's ravaging the church and he's entering house after house and he's dragging off men and women and he's committing them to prison. So notice this is not casual. This is a persecution that is systematic. It's going into wherever the church is gathering, which at this time looks like house churches. So they're, he, they're gathering in house churches, doing discipleship there. They're evangelizing there. And Saul's ravaging. He's going straight into where they are. He's dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So a man who's going to be used by God in a great way, if you were to say, well, what's your job description? Well, it was systematically going into wherever Jesus' name was and separating uh, children, separating families, separating dads from kids and, and husbands from wives. This is what I did. And I believe that this was actually very pleasing to God as I ravaged the church. And notice that verse 1 says that they're scattered throughout this. So they're, so they're kind of going into hiding. And that happens all over the world today. There are many Christians that are in hiding today. And they're experiencing God's life and presence right there in homes. And they don't know any day now if somebody's going to come crashing through the door and hauling people off to prison. Well, when we see the word scattered, we should think pilgrim. We should think refugee. We should think sojourner. We should think of things like this. They are now marginalized. They are now pushed to the outer edges of society. They're no longer mainstream if they ever thought they were. See, they, they believe this is the fulfillment of everything taught in Judaism and in, in Jewish uh, religion, but they're finding themselves, they're pushed out, they're pushed beyond, and now they, they've got to adopt a pilgrim mentality and a refuge kind of mentality. I don't know if you know or have ever talked to a refugee, but their life isn't very pleasant. There are 300,000, I learned a couple of weeks ago, refugees in Dallas. So these are people from all over the world, and they, they arrive here uh, broken and fragile and uh, kind of on the move, just always with this mentality of I'm not settled. Well, this is how they are. This is how the early churches, they're just unsettled in this place. And so let's see what happens next. So I lost my place here. Look at verse 4. So as they're scattered, look at what happens in verse 4. We're going to be introduced to a man named Philip. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Even though they're pilgrims and they're refugees, Philip takes the name of Jesus. But not only Philip, everybody does this. It says everybody who scattered went about preaching the word. There was this message of resurrection. There was this message of hope. Everything's being taken away from them. Their their, their families are being separated. Uh, They're destitute. But they've got hope. And they're saying Jesus is alive. And Jesus is hope. And so Philip does this. And he does this in the city of Samaria, which is is really different than, than what the uh, Jews thought as far as who in the world God loved and who, who was God going to save. The Samaritans were these despised people. They were considered unfaithful. They were considered half-breeds as kind of these defecting 
Jews. They were unclean. They were, they were viewed as wicked. And, and they were people that waited for a Messiah, but it wasn't the same Messiah that the Jews were, were waiting for. And not only that, they were synchristic, so they took the Jewish religion and they, they synchronized other kind of pagan ideas. And so, they, so some, not all, but a lot of them believed in sorcery and charms and incantations. And they were drawn to unusual displays of power. So this is like the, this is like the mission field that they're going into when he's going into the Samaritans. Jews didn't deal with Samaritans. Remember, there's this woman at the well that Jesus goes and talks to. And she says very plainly, why are you talking to me? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's just not the way it is. Jews hated Samaritans and vice versa. Well, Philip goes into Samaria and he proclaims to them the Christ. And notice what he says. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that, that he did. Now, it's just important to note, I think, right here, that Philip doesn't choose between the Samaritans hearing something communicated from his lips from seeing something done by the power of of God through his hands. Philip doesn't choose, and I don't think that we should choose. Philip preaches the gospel. He preaches about Jesus, and then he demonstrates the kingdom and demonstrates his presence to a bunch of people who need to see the present reality of the resurrected Christ. So Philip speaks, and they see, and they hear, And they hear and they see the signs that he did. And verse 7 says, For unclean spirits, so these are like demonic spirits, come crying out with a loud voice. And that's how demonic spirits go. You know, they don't don't go quietly. Um, They are very happy to oppress people. They are very happy to to, uh, tempt people and keep people under the lies of the evil one. And so they don't always come out uh, squeaky clean. So these unclean spirits are crying out, with a loud voice, ah! I mean, I don't even know what that, that was like, but it was freaky and, and awesome all at the same time. And they came out of many who were with them. And it says, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So this doesn't, all, this doesn't mean that you know, the, the, the lame or those who needed heal were, healing were all oppressed by demonic spirits. But there's a lot of stuff happening. People who are oppressed by demonic spirits are being set free. People who are uh, sick and need need healing are being made well and the kingdom is just breaking into this dark world so there's evil and there's darkness and felt shining the light of god's grace and people are getting healed and people are being set free and the kingdom is coming the kingdom is advancing is breaking into this this dark and this evil world so it's summarized in verse eight when that happens there was much joy in that city philip just goes into this place that's oppressed but all their bad ideas about who God is and false religion and drawn to incantations and that kind of thing. And, and he comes in and he preaches truth. And God is pleased to demonstrate that truth through miracles. And then there's joy that just breaks out all over the city. We just see revival just happen. And uh, this is what happens all over the book of Acts. So... Think about the prayer that the early disciples prayed. They they said after there was much persecution, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness 
while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the early church said, we're going to preach. God, give us boldness to preach. And God, we're going to ask you while we're preaching your word to demonstrate your word through signs and wonders. So you can just wake people up. So people who are drawn to signs and wonders can see there's a real power coming in here. There's, there's something different that, that our sorcerers, our witchcraft people can't produce. And so the early church prayed these things like this. And we would do well to embrace that kind of prayer. To say, God, I need boldness to proclaim your name. And I need you to do what I can't do. I can't cause signs and wonders. I can't cause healings. But you can. And you can through me. And my assumption is that you desire to do so. Among the, the people in the circles of influence that I have, I, I think that you want to heal people. I believe that God wants to do that today. I believe that there are people that are sick or, or need healing. That God would be very pleased to demonstrate his resurrection power, to de- demonstrate his kingdom by, by praying for people. Now, there was a time when that would make me so nervous. And I'd say, you know, if somebody would ask me, well, have you ever asked somebody to lay hands on you if I was sick or somebody else was sick or needed healing or something? And it would, that would bug me to no end. I'd be like, no, I, have a, I don't need that. I don't need somebody to lay their hands on me. And I don't, you know, that would just kind of irk me. Like, you know, I can go to God directly. Well, yes, you can go to God directly. Uh, but we also need people. And we need prayer. And just like we did earlier in the service, sometimes we need people to just lay their hands on us and to pray for us. And so when I started to kind of get this, I, I, I was like, man, I, radic- I made a shift there. And now I'm like, man, lay your hands on anything. Lay your hands on my car. He, heal my car, God. Well, it probably needs a mechanic. No, it, God can heal it miraculously. And so there just needs to be a, a not, that, not that degree, maybe, but a, a desire for God to just show up in boldness and to perform and do among us what we can't do ourselves. Because he's eager to. He's eager to show his might, to flex his muscles in front of us and to show that he is here and his his presence is power and his presence is is love towards us i think philip probably prayed something like this and this is a life-changing prayer write this down jesus demonstrate your loving power and presence through me in a convincing way here if, if we were just to take a prayer like that you want to revolutionize how you're approaching work, how you're approaching your neighbors, how you're approaching a tense situation in your life. Pray something that Philip probably prayed. I'm humbling approaching you, Jesus, and I'm asking you to demonstrate your power and your presence through me right here in a convincing way. And how our city would love to see this from us. I just believe not only in our church, but in all the churches in Frisco. Oh, how our city and all, oh, how all of North Dallas would love to see the kingdom of God demonstrated the way that Philip demonstrates the kingdom so that there's real joy, not synthetic, plastic, manufactured, temporary cotton candy joy, but real joy where somebody actually understands God's presence is here God's extravagant love is here and God is for me. This that that experience of utter joy when you realize that your sins are forgiven and that your eternity is secure. 
and that his, his loving presence is towards you in all things of life. So I don't have to go buy it. I don't have to try to work it up. I don't have to have some kind of an experience that is just not satisfying, ultimately. I need God. I need his presence in my life. I need Jesus. And that's what Philip goes about proclaiming, and that's what we have the opportunity to proclaim everywhere. Man, let's just pray that, that we can be a, a kind of people that just work for the joy of the city, the way that Philip prays and preaches and works for it. Well, look what else happens in verse 9. There's opposition not only from the outside, form of persecution, it comes from within. Opposition from within in verse 9. So something really interesting happens here. So he's preaching in, in Samaria, but notice what happens. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. So remember, Samaritans are really drawn to magic and to the occult. This isn't, you know, some guy making making balloon animals. This is a guy that's practicing witchcraft, this, this, that kind of magic, this sorcery. You know, that's what they're drawn to, some kind of power, you know, some kind of ability to break out of the junk that they're involved in. So here, you know, Simon is a practicing sorcery guy. He practiced magic in that city, so much so that verse 9 says that he amazed the people of Samaria. And, and he, he's amazing them, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now, this is, you know, this elevates his sense of pride. This elevates who he is. Hey, and it's also very lucrative to be a witch doctor in villages and in large cities. It's always been a lucrative business, and it was very lucrative here. And you'll see later in the book of Acts, um, it, it stirs the whole city of Ephesus up because of how the gospel undermines the money coming in because of the witchcraft. So anyway, he's, he, he's this guy that's saying, I'm somebody great. And verse 10 says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So this is no small influencing guy in this Samaritan city. We don't know which Samaritan city it is. There's several cities there, but he's influential. The least to the greatest, the most famous people in the city, the wealthiest people, they are gravitating to Simon, the magician. And, it, and they were saying this. Here's his reputation. This man is the power of God that is called great. I mean, this doesn't get much loftier of a title than that. This man is the very power of God, and he is called great. That's his reputation as he's interacting with everybody in the city verse 11 says and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic so it's not that he was fooling them real things are taking place because of his magic not for a short time a long time and this is what keeps villages and what keeps cities in bondage is when they've seen something and they've seen it for a long time They've had some convincing evidence of some power that's been operating in Simon, the, the sorcerer. And they're amazed. They're amazed by his magic. So what's going to happen as far as the power encounter? We're, we're anticipating there's an a opposition here. There's going to be a power encounter takes place here when Philip comes in and he's preaching the kingdom of God 
And Jesus is revealing his power against this demonic power. So what's what's going to happen? Well, verse 12 says, but when they believed Philip, (laughs) as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So they switch teams immediately. So there's something very tangible that they see in the demonstrations of the kingdom. And there's something that they hear that sets them free that Philip is preaching that makes people who are trapped in this bondage for a long, long, long time and are captivated by this great one switch teams and say, I'm going to get baptized publicly to say Jesus is greater than these demonic spirits and this sorcery. And they're baptized. And it says both men and women are baptized. So lots of people coming forward. Revival breaking out. And look what happens in verse 13. The power of Jesus persuades Simon. Verse 13 says, Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he's conv- the, the power of God is convincing to the person with these smaller powers. He, he recognizes there's something more powerful than what I've offered to these people for years and years. And it's real. And he repents and he's baptized. And uh, becomes a believer in Jesus, verse 13 indicates verse 14 says now when the apostles at jerusalem heard that samaria had received the word of god they sent to them peter and john who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the holy spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them for they had only been baptized in the name of jesus so look at verse 12 Notice what's essential to Philip's message here. They believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, it leads you to to picture as he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching something about life with God, the reign of Jesus. So when he leads off saying the kingdom of God, he's saying what he's preaching is resurrection. What Philip is preaching is there's something about the life of Jesus available in his power and presence for you right now. The kingdom of God is about life with God under his present rule and his reign. And Philip leads with that. He says, Jesus is alive. He's alive from the dead and he's available to you right now. He's available to you right now. Here's our here's our message to you. If you're hearing this and you think, well, I've heard the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. For my sins, I get that. He died, without minimizing that, he did die on the cross for you. And he died and he rose from the grave for you to unite you to him and to show his present power in your life right now. This very moment. So he's preaching. There is a real presence of the resurrected Christ right here. And that's where the resurrection is so essential to our presentation of the gospel. But look at verse 14. Look what else he, he mentions here. He says that when the apostles hear, hear that the Samaritans received this 
word of God about the resurrection of Jesus. They come and they pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. So this this could sound a little bit confusing because in every other place in the New Testament, whenever somebody repents and believes in Jesus and is baptized, they receive the Holy Spirit. But there's something here about the way that the Lord withheld something. We're not really sure exactly what he withheld, but it just says in verse 16 that he had not yet fallen on any of them. So here there's no indication what was it. There was some manifestation of the power of the Spirit. We're not sure. It could have been tongues, prophecy. could have been a desire to serve one another. Who knows? But there was something about their, their coming to Jesus that some power was, was, uh, was not fully demonstrated in the life of the Samaritans yet. And, and there's some need for the Jerusalem church to come to Samar- Samaria into this city and lay their hands on them so that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And it seems to indicate that as the gospel is advancing, the Jerusalem church needs to be there to see the power of the Spirit fall on these what were considered half-breeds. So it was important for the Jerusalem church to see it. Jesus is here among these people. He's here. He's, He's fallen on them just as he's fallen on us. And so they go and they need to see this in Samaria Samaria, and the Samaritan city needs to be connected to the Jerusalem church. So it's all one church at this time. There's just this mutual need for one another in this moment. So the apostles come and it says that they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, they've already been influenced by the Holy Spirit and coming to Jesus But some manifestation of his power in an even greater way shows up in verse 17. And uh, and so 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 some unique power shows up when they lay their hands on them. So what happened in the earlier part where Philip first shows up in Samaria continues on as they're laying hands on people. More people are receiving more power of the Holy Spirit. Now, look what happens in verse 18. Here's where some false teaching comes in. Verse 18 says, now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, uh uh-oh, he offered them money. Everybody's like, oh, Philip, what are you doing? He kind of goes back to his old ways, just like we are prone to do as believers in Jesus. Sometimes go back to our old patterns where Philip does. I mean, Simon does this, too. He he sees that there's real power in the laying on of hands and he offers money. He says, here's here's some money. And he says, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, can I can I buy this power? He says, essentially. I mean, this is just if you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, this is a this is a dumb move on Simon's part. Money and the Holy Spirit trying to buy his influence and all that kind of thing. Not a good idea. And Peter lets him know that it's not a good idea in verse 20. He says, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He says, you're slipping here, Simon. You thought you could buy the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, where it's a gift from Jesus. 
And he says that you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. So there's some people speculate now, is he just, you know, a false convert that is now being called out that you're not a real believer in Jesus in this moment? Or is he a true believer in Jesus, which seems to be what Luke indicates, that there was a true repentance and a a trust and a faith in Jesus and a desire to get baptized publicly and turn from his former religions and to follow Jesus. But now he's in sin and he's he's uh, potentially going to experience the judgment of God like Ananias and Sapphira did and how Paul references in 1 Corinthians about how people who are just not loving towards others sometimes even get sick and have, were dying in the Corinthian church because of, of their just temporary judgment. From God, even though their secure, their salvation was secure in Christ, I, I tend to think it's that one. I, I tend to think that there's there's a, a a temporary judgment that he is in danger of in his um in in his posture towards God, trying to buy something from God because he does repent. Look at verse twenty two. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. That's the poison. That's like a, a word for poison of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So strong words. He's saying there's you're you're going to be judged if you don't turn from this wickedness, Simon. And verse 24 seems to be an indication, uh, at least to me, that he is repentant. Simon answers. He says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So maybe he's he's thinking, I've been trying to manipulate God, and so I don't even trust my heart in this moment. You pray for me that nothing of what you've said is going to happen to me. And the assumption is, is that he does pray for him, even though he tried to manipulate God, and uh, and and he's we, we don't hear from him again. So, um, so there's this power encounter, and Simon comes to believe in faith. And look what happens in verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken of the, spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, the apostles did, preaching the gospel to many villages and, and of the villages of the Samaritans. So there's joy that's just breaking out everywhere. And there's power encounters taking place. There's tension in all these things. There's confusion at times. And welcome to the Christian life. <laughs> Victory. Confusion. Opposition, victory, opposition, opposition from without, opposition from within. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.